Content warning. Tone Deaf is rated explicit for mature content and strong language. Spoilers are in every episode, so if you haven't seen the shows we are reviewing, you can always check back in later with us. We'll be here when you get back. I watched as the movie musical Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living composers say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held the lance, and he was given a crown, and he rode out to deliver a mediocre and ridiculously expensive yet cheap-looking movie musical unto the world. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living composer say, Come! And then another horse came out, a fiery one, and its rider was given the power to speak to animals and unleash a musical bomb by the same composers as the first unto the world. In his hand was a parrot, and the book the musical was based on, torn asunder. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living composer say, Come! And there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four composers saying, Add more bodies, add more sets, 25 million to make 26. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living composer say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. It was the death of the big Hollywood movie musical of the Hayes Code era, and it rode out on the horizon, the lost horizon, if you will, taking the roadshow release of movie musicals with it. The Book of Theater Revelation, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged. Before we begin, I have to uh, bring up something that uh, occurred on, what was it, Sunday. Uh, Weber. What the fuck, Weber? What did Weber do? He did this, Warren. I don't cook. I don't clean, but let me tell you, I got this ring. Gobble me, swallow me, trip down the side of me, put your mouth and let it get inside of me, I tell you. I don't cook. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, against my better judgment, one more time, please. Okay. I don't clean, but let me tell you, I got this ring. Gobble me, swallow me, trip down the side of me, put your mouth and let it get inside of me, I tell you. Why 
Why did Weber? I, so 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 I I'm not quite familiar with that particular particular piece of uh, uh of not uh, what would it be pop? I don't know. Our, uh, That's hip hop. Hip hop. Mm-hmm. I'm not. You see the skin. This... <laughs> That's true. You you don't listen to Cardi B. Um, I did when I would listen to Power 101 FM, but so. So I am familiar with uh, her her music. Then there's like in the current consciousness because of because uh, of because of WAP, WAP. Mm-hmm. So so why why does Weber feel the need to I phantomize don't know. the wet ass? I don't know. And what was I'm... what were the motions he was doing in the beginning? That was some colonizer dancing bullshit. <laughs> Weber, what the fuck? Uh, is Weber is Weber desperate for attention? I I don't know. Is Weber a, is Weber a sixteen year old girl who comes from a a rich family and is on one of those TV shows that just shows spoiled brats complaining that they got the wrong type of car? I don't. Is that, is that Weber? I'm I'm a little distraught by it. Like, even though I'm not a big Cardi B fan, I'm sitting here going, Weber, what the fuck? <laughs> you leave Cardi B out of... Do not include Cardi B in your Phantom of the Opera that you ruined with your sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Like, all I can think of now is, oh, that's that's what Chrissy D had with Phantom. It's a badass pussy. Um, but yeah, no, I'm mad. Yeah, me too, now that you said that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Weber, (laughs) we weren't going to talk about you for like 10 episodes, Weber. (laughs) I don't choose to hate you, Weber. You make me hate you. Lord. So yeah, there's there's that. And that's that's nothing to do with what we're talking about for this week's episode. What are we talking about for this week's episode, Kay? So this week we are closing out part one of our movie musical apocalypse series. Um, we, we are closing off the, or I guess opening off, opening the fourth seal, which is Lost Horizon, the death of movie musicals. Insert Wilhelm scream. Yes, insert Wilhelm screen. We'll see if I uh, decide to add one in later. They're free. They are free. We'll des- we'll see if I decide to add one in later or not. Um, so-, <laughs> so, yeah, Lost Horizon is sort of a lesson in remakes are not always good and musical remakes, God help you. I mean, I would say that that lesson already... Well, I mean, this... this when Okay, when did this... So this film came out in 1973. Okay, so so that's fair. I was gonna say because uh, uh, there's been many a remakes of many yes. things, and really Disney should learn this fucking lesson. If I see another fucking the, Disney remake, I swear to God, I'm gonna does, I'm gonna lose it. Does the mouse have his dick in in Lost no, Horizon? No, the mouse does not have his dick in Lost Horizon. So we will not be watching this on Disney Plus. I had to rent it. Yeah. I uh, this will either be so bad it's good and I won't regret the 399 or I will be like 
I want that three ninety nine back, damn it. I would just like to take this moment to thank our wonderful patrons who contribute to our show <laughs> yes. and help to absorb the costs of having to rent movies in order for us to then yes. tear apart. And, and uh, if if you want to continue <laughs> to help us rent these mu- movie musicals, then... Uh, Donate a tone deaf musical on Patreon. <laughs> if you would like to give money to a worthy cause that then gives money to an unworthy cause. <laughs> hey, sometimes we do buy tickets like for streaming online. This so is true. This is true. That, I don't think that we would have been able to do Fun House without having patrons. Mm, this, is, so. this is fair. Yeah. I, I was mostly just teasing. <laughs> um, so this is a remake of Lost Horizon, which is a 1937 film that caused a financial crisis for Columbia Pictures because it took five years to earn back its cost. Oh, Latte does not like that. She does not like did that. Did you grunt about that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Latte's like, you're going to get very angry and yelling at things. Can <laughs> <laughs> you stop petting her? Now she's yeah. chomping you. Now she's chomping at the air. Latte wants... <laughs> Wants her dad's attention and not to pay attention to the stupid box. So Lost Horizon, the movie, was also an adaptation of the 1933 James Hilton novel, Lost Horizon. There's also another musical adaptation of this from 1956, but I'm betting that the 1960 Hallmark Hall of Fame broadcast of it is hard to find, since the musical itself only ran for 21 performances on Broadway. That's uh, a short run. Yeah. The stage production was called Shangri-La, which is a portent of what this movie is about. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Shangri-La. So, yes. so uh, th- does this have to deal with like the afterlife or it's, paradise? It's, or... it's going to be on a fake Tibetan temple set. And it's oh. honestly like just, just the little bit... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I know. I know. You had a day today. Latte is co-opting podcast time. Yes, she is. So it is currently pet the dog time. You made me go to the vet and get my blood drawn, and the vet had to chase me around with a ladle. Mm-hmm. And then you went around the backyard with a ladle. Why is? Why are you all so interested in my pee? <laughs> yeah. Why are we interested in your pee, Latte? Anyway, um... So, yeah, th- from what I saw, because, again, I've never seen this movie. I didn't know about this movie until we were getting ready for this. Hmm. Um, from what I could tell, this feels a little bit like Brigadoon, but in Tibet. <laughs> Which you don't... Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I, I know the... Uh... The family guy's... I know the elevator-ish pitch of Brigadoon, that mm-hmm. it's a old-timey city that, like, disappears for a hundred years at a time or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, is, so, so I, I can extrapolate <laughs> that there's something temporally out of balance with this show. It's something like that, yeah. Like, when I, when I looked at it, I was just sort of going, huh. I don't think I'm going to like the plot of this or anything. Um, And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, The film was directed by Charles Girat with music by Bert Bacharach. Girat. The music was by uh, Bert Bacharach and Hal David. The pair, uh, Bacharach and David, did several songs for Dionne Warwick. 
Uh, let's see. In the morning I wake up before I put on my makeup. I say a little prayer for you. I am familiar or with that. Or do you know the way to San Jose? I did that out of key. I do not care anyway. Anyway, that's Dionne Warwick. Um, and at this point, Bacharach and David were on the verge of ending their partnership. So you could say that the relationship was on the Bacharachs? Oh, I, I really like the last name Bacharach. That, that might be... That might be my new favorite musical person name. Holy fuck. <laughs> How far are we into this with me putting my face in my hand? Uh, less than <laughs> 10 minutes. So, <laughs> Oh, I can do better. <laughs> um, so the, it apparently shows in this soundtrack that that partnership was ending. Uh, the producer, uh, Ross Hunter, said of this uh, partnership in a 1975 interview, When we hired Bacharach and David to write the songs, we didn't know they were on the verge of dissolving their partnership. When they finally delivered the music, we were already deep into pre-production. We knew it was a bum score, but we couldn't do anything about it. Oh, Jesus. So there's, there's oh. your first glimpse <laughs> into the hell behind this movie. That... That sucks. Yeah. That sucks <laughs> yeah. when you're already into pre Like, ooh, yeah. they get the score yeah. and they're just like, not much we can do about it. Like, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, what sucks about that, too, is, is the, uh, the, the, the artist in me that's taken commissions for money. Like, when I hear that they delivered a bum score kind of like that, I'm like, you guys should have the artistic integrity to... At least mm-hmm. give it another once over and then, yeah. you know, present or, a better product. Or say, you know what? I don't want to do your foot fetish uh, art. And so, sorry, I don't, <laughs> I can't, I, I, I need the money, but I don't need it that bad. <laughs> I forgot that you were referencing yourself and your, your, your own uh, experiences. And for a second, I was like, wait, is Lost Horizon about... <laughs> foot fetishes that apparently skip a beat through time. He's no. like, just this giant foot comes out of this this Buddhist monastery and then like goes back in. I want you to describe the smell. No. No. Do not subject our wonderful listeners to that depravity. God. Uh... Anyway, just when you were mentioning commissioner (laughs) integrity, I was like, you can also just say, you can look at the thing you're being commissioned on and go, I know my limits. (laughs) But I won't write that. Anyway, um, so this, there is one bright spot in the writing staff. Hey, Kay, what's your bright spot? (laughs) We've been what? We've been listening to too much knowledge fight. No such thing as too much knowledge. No such thing. So, um, the the screenplay is written by Larry Kramer. Does that name ring a bell? I mean, well, I've talked about him before, but not oh, on I'm, the podcast. I'm sure you have. Uh, uh, you did. Can I get a clue? Mark Ruffalo. Oh, 
Shit. Um. Uh. Heart. Thing. You're you're close. It's it's <laughs> called a normal heart. Is the play oh. that he did. It was about uh, the AIDS crisis, and that's Larry okay. Kramer. Okay, I I do remember you talking. About and that. so um, this, <laughs> I want to do an episode about Larry Kramer someday. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if it would be like that. We do a series on playwrights or something. Vote now on your phones. Um, <laughs> but Kramer was not proud of this movie at all. In fact, he, he was just sort of like, well, the money made it so that I had financial freedom to be a playwright, but... Mm, there you go. Because <laughs> he got like $300,000 for the screenplay in 1973 money, so... That would, that would like, that would like, uh, that would like buy a used car now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know, used cars <laughs> less than 300000 <laughs> That would, uh, that would have at least helped with tuition and books yeah. <laughs> and life on college. But, um, yeah, this, this is, uh, his last screenplay really that he did. And then, uh, he focused mostly on plays after that. Cause he, he, I think is one of the only ones to come out of this, not completely fucked over for the rest of his career. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, I guess other than some of the actors, because we'll get into the acting, and there is some big name talent in this movie. I bet I won't know who any of them are because it came out. In the Probably 70s. not. <laughs> so, like I said, this was produced by Ross Hunter, who has a cure delay connection. <laughs> Hit me with a K. So. Ross Hunter not only produced one of my least favorite films of all time, Imitation of Life, see my rant on the Tragic Mulatto episode from Black History Month, but he also produced Madam X, which is a film that Keir was in. Okay, that's in 1966. Why, that's why that sounds familiar. I've heard you talk about that. Yes, he also produced uh, Pillow Talk and Airport, and then he moved to Columbia, pr like Columbia Studios, produced this film, and never produced another film again <laughs> uh now was that because he was uh he was disgraced and nobody wanted to work with him or was he just like you know i've had a long full career and it's time for me to hit the I... old dusty trail and go live with a nice uh screenwriter in a farm up north i think he said the latter but i'm pretty sure it's the former because <laughs> ah. this movie just like this movie took down a lot of things, um, including the movie musical, mm -hmm. like it, from it, Hollywood. Did it bankrupt any studios? I don't think this bankrupted. Uh, I'll have to check again in my notes. Did, I I haven't gotten to the uh, monetary part of this yet. Did anybody develop a drinking problem because of this? No, no, no one developed a drinking problem because <laughs> of this one. Uh, we may, we'll see. So. <laughs> For a second, you said that, and I was like, who's we may? And I was like, oh, you meant, damn it. You meant us. <laughs> so production took place on the Warner Brothers lot. And like I said at the start of this series, the castle in Camelot makes a reappearance as Shangri-La. They just made some changes to make it look more Tibetan and less Arthurian. Because those two types of architecture are so similar 
They're interchangeable, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things where I'm just sitting here like, this will be interesting to see. I'm also very concerned after having seen the cast, which I will read to you next. <laughs> because I did not see very many uh, Asian names in this film that takes place in Tibet. Is it decidedly monochromatic? It is decidedly monochromatic. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. For the 70s I'm in America? I'm a little concerned Media? with the amount of white people. <laughs> little concerned. So, when it came to casting, here's a list of folks who turned down roles in this film because either they were smart or <laughs> didn't have tax issues. More on that later. <laughs> My mortgage isn't due, so I'll pass. So, we have Julie Andrews, Jean oh. Arthur, Barbara Stanwyck. Toshiro Mifune, uh, Robert Shaw, and then more tragically, the film features the following Oscar winners. Peter Finch, George Kennedy, Sir John Gilgood, who we're going to talk about in a minute, as well as featuring some other nominees, Liv Ullman, Sally Kellerman, and Charles Boyer. So these are all people who at the time were... Uh, pretty big yeah and uh i don't know any any of those names um we also have michael york and olivia hussey in this olivia hussey creates another cure delay connection for this film she was in black christmas with him i was gonna say because that did remind me uh because i'm sure i laughed at the last name hussey (laughs) she and uh michael york were also in romeo and juliet together Wait. wait michael york of the prestigious York Peppermint Patty family? Fuck. He's got Peppermint Patty money? Uh... <laughs> I apologize for nothing. <sighs> Nor should you. So, <laughs> remember the whole tax thing? Uh, yes. This is a quote from, Jocker, from actor John Gielgud regarding this film. The part is an idiotic walkabout, not a moment that gives one the slightest opportunity to act, and I feel a bit ashamed of the bribery that makes me accept it. But I had a bad income tax disaster three years ago, and this should help put me straight again. (laughs) 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 He has some great quotes about this. Love how aware he is. Yeah, it reminds me of ah uh, shit. What's his name? Uh, he's an English actor. Uh, he played uh, Alfred in the the Christopher Nolan. Oh, Michael Caine. Thank you, Michael Caine. And mm-hmm. he was in like Jaws four or something like that. And when he's interviewed about, it, he's like, "Oh, never seen the movie. I heard it was terrible, but I have seen the house that it built, and that house is wonderful." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just love the unabashed. He's like, ah, money. He also uh, he has a couple of really good quips with this. Uh, my favorite being a letter that he wrote to his partner at the time, saying, The film is going to cost $6 million, so let's hope the music will be the making of it. Nothing else will. I have christened it, Hello, Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> or Dolly. God damn it. I, I pronounced it wrong. Dolly Lama. Oh, hello, that, Dolly. That makes Dolly way Lama. more sense. Da, 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 it's okay. Da. I can't pronounce words. 
So <laughs> you and I are both off today. We are. It's been it's been a hell of a weekend, and so we just gotta. We're pushing through. We're we're on, and we're gonna have a really good show to make up for Lost Horizon after this that I will tell you at the end of the show <gasps> that I'm really excited about us seeing. I'm titillated. Oh, let me tickle those titillations. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> According to IMDb, there was a special that was done in 1973 to promote the release of the film with Richard Harris and Sammy Davis Jr. among the star-studded lineup. And I kind of hope Davis or Sammy Davis Jr. socked Richard Harris in the face. That would be great. That would I he he probably didn't cuz no. he's a better person than I am. Mm-hmm. But still, he probably didn't throw shade either. No, no, Sammy Davis Jr. was... A classy individual. God, I loved him. Anyway, uh, this film is another example of hiring non-singers for a musical, with Liv Ullman and Peter Finch having to be dubbed over by Jerry Whitman and Diana Lee, who sang for Disneyland Records, which used to be a thing. And that's actually before Disney became like a super big monopoly. Mm. They had their own records. See, it makes me wonder if we ever do Hot and Bothered, uh, who's going to sing over my voice. <laughs> we'll have, uh, we'll have, I don't know. I don't know. The joke went in my brain, but didn't make it out the mouth. Insert bad joke here. I'm going to say, pause for contemplation. <laughs> <laughs> so, shooting was a nightmare, according to Gilgood, because of the heat and the costumes that had to be worn in... In, in that uh, awful, muggy Los Angeles heat. He said, Yards of fox fur for the blizzard scene to be shot. In blazing heat, I shall strip beneath the coat in order to survive. I did five <laughs> days grueling work on the canyon set, swathed in my furs and wind machines, hurling plastic snow in our faces, and appallingly uncomfortable and hot. I'm going to be... Looking for those scenes where they're wearing fur and it's a blizzard. And I'm just going to be like, he had swamp ass galore while that was going on. But he didn't come out of it nearly as badly as the flowers that were planted on the set. They had to, they had these yellow flowers on the set. And they had to hand paint them back to yellow because they wilted in the intense heat. Oof. (laughs) Oof. I'm pretty sure plastic flowers were invented by this point. Yeah. I know silk were. Yeah, I'm sitting here like thinking, wouldn't you get silk prop... flowers at least? Yeah, prop flowers? But no, silk flowers don't look... Well, I'm like, how, how do you paint wilted flowers to make them look alive again? We'll see. They're they're wilted. Yeah. Um, there's also a fertility dance scene that had to be removed from the film for a while because the audience laughed out loud at it. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was too risque. No, but it's been restored, and that's the cut we're seeing, apparently. Full fertility scene. Full fertility dance scene. Um, and there was a lot of stuff cut from the film after the Roadshow release because it was bad, but it was put back in for DVD releases, which, by the way, this film was never released on VHS in the U.S. <laughs> so it bombed so hard that mm-hmm. they never sought to... Yeah, the it, it did get released on Laserdisc, but never had a VHS release. Yeah. Yeah. Let that roll around in your noggin. 
There's plenty of room. Mm-hmm. There are movies that were put out on VHS <laughs> that are bad. <sighs> yeah, I've that that room over there is full of boxes of uh, yeah. old VHSs that have yet to be mm-hmm. tossed into mm-hmm. an inferno. Yeah, I'm a little scared. Uh, speaking of releases, apparently the screening for this went so bad that half of the audience walked out. Holy hell. Including Doris Day. Oh, Doris. Oh, my. And she had previously worked with Ross Hunter on Pillow Talk. And so. Got invited to the premiere and was just like. Like, I guess it was an in- industry pre release screening, and mm-hmm. they were just. It was like, no, this is bad. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did your research say if they did any test screenings or anything like that? I did not see anything that said. I, I guess that this is kind of a test screening. It's sort of the, um, hey, guys, look what we're doing. Look at the film I did. It's, it's yeah, bad. Except they're showing it to all to, of their peers in the industry. And, uh-huh. 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 I've, I've seen some shitty movies. I have never walked out on a movie before. I have. It's it's like you start it and I'm like, oh, I gotta finish it. I gotta see how it ends. We're gonna see how this stacks up to flight because (laughs) that is one of the only movies I've ever walked out on. The other one, it was my ex that walked out and I had to go with them. So, you know, I didn't know you walked out on flight. I thought you sat through the whole movie. No, granted it was one that my mom had rented. So I just was like, you know what? I'm noping out of this. I don't want to see the rest of this movie. You go on ahead. Fuck this movie. (laughs) I liked the plane crash in the first scene. Or, I guess, plane flying almost crash in the first scene. That's it. Flew upside down. Flew upside down. It's no Sully. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was so bad that this is the one that led major Hollywood studios deciding not to produce musicals for a while. In fact, in looking over some of the movie musicals released after this one, they're mostly all produced by smaller studios that I've never heard of. Like, basically non-major Hollywood studios. Or they're animated or have Muppet actors. So... I was gonna ask about that. Yeah, okay. so basically like live-action Hollywood movie musicals. Nope. After this point, it's smaller production studios, non-Hollywood production studios doing them. And that's where you're able to get things with, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show and Tommy and Litstomania and Hair and all of those because it's not this major Hollywood studio that has kind of, this is what our studio does. Instead, you're able to let some artistic differences happen and... So it could be argued that it was good for it overall because it led to experimentation in the medium. Treat it like the great dying, the Permian extinction, (laughs) because you can't have dinosaurs without the Permian extinction. I guess actually technically the Triassic extinction. Yeah, Triassic, Jurassic extinction, but this is more the Permian. (sighs) Though you could argue that no, this wouldn't be the KT extinction, because... Anyway. Um... <laughs> so, uh... To, to balance it out, I feel like I should talk about an anime or something like that. 
or a video game. So a lot of the non-animated ones were either bombs or later became cult classics. Um, or you would have your rare, like, because, like, Tommy didn't bomb, but it became a cult classic. You'd have, um, trying to remember other ones that didn't necessarily bomb, but aren't really in the cult classic, uh, description. But basically, like, you, you don't have your sound of music anymore. Those days are gone. For a while. For a little while. But just like zombie Jesus, it creeps back into the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just like zombie Jesus. So, just just wait, though, because we're going to be doing a Razzie double feature at some point to uh, completely finish out the movie musical Apocalypse. And those will be the two movies that inspired the Razzies. <laughs> and they're both musicals. Fantastic. Yes. Yes. So that'll be fun. Uh, I do have a review uh, that was from The New Yorker, a review by Pauline Kael, and it has me concerned. This is the snippet that has me concerned. (laughs) It's a middle-class geriatric utopia where you can live indefinitely, lounging and puttering about for hundreds of years. And this is her exact quote. The Orientals are kept in their places and no blacks are among the residents. There's probably no way to rethink this material without throwing it all away. So yeah, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Oh, man. I am not... I am so concerned... (laughs) let's let's do it let's uh, we we can't uh we can't not we can't not so the only the only thing to do is to just grit our teeth bend over and just take it i may start drinking early we'll see how bad it is um the second half of this may be pretty interesting (laughs) So, before we get on to the movie, this movie cost $5.9 million to make. How much do you think it earned? Wow, I love the look in your eyes right now because you know the answer. And, okay, okay, I want to guess that it made less than $6 million. Um, I find that kind of hard to believe just because... I'm surprised it only cost $6 million to make this, because usually... I mean, we're using sets. I guess it's fair. I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say... I'm gonna go against my nature, and I'm gonna say it made $4 million. You are very close. Really? I mean, price is right, you would have lost, but $3.8 million. Wow. Yeah. Holy, because initially <laughs> I, I wanted to guess more. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Holy fuck. So with a $6 million budget, it, it still didn't even... Yeah. <laughs> so my only guess... Oh, wow. Jeez. Okay. So if at the uh, the Hollywood pre... 
release screening of it, half of the theater walked out, I would imagine that word of mouth and critical reception was enough to make mm-hmm. very few. It probably was a situation of people are like, oh, there's no way it could be as bad as it is. Let's go see it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, God, it probably was like the Cats movie, but <laughs> Twitter didn't exist. <laughs> I still argue that the Cats movie is what heralded 2020, but... <laughs> you, you know what didn't help the Cats movie? Commercials. No! Showing what it was going to look like beforehand. No, it didn't. They just should have had, like, stills. Just If they would have just had pictures of Victoria just, like, smiling and played that for 30 seconds, then been like, Cats in theaters! They might have been able to get a little bit more uh, foot traction. But people saw the commercials and had time to be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot. Wow. I am, I'm still stunned that this show tanked as bad as it did with that low of a budget. And on the one hand, I am. But on the other hand, I'm like, the last time Columbia tried to do Lost Horizon, it fucked them over. Because <laughs> mm. they were the ones who did the 1937 one that cost the studio money and nearly destroyed the studio. Took five years to recoup its losses. Oh, like geez. That's so... Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. You, would, you, think. Would, you would think that after the first time that it hurt the studio, that they would have been like extra sure to make sure... You would think that they but... had the right the right formula this time around, but it sounds like it's just not a very good no anything. It, it doesn't it. sound like there's anything to be gained from this. <sighs> we'll see. At the very least, we might end up with cirrhosis. <laughs> we can write a little drinking game as we do it. And... Uh, hey, one of us has to write notes, okay? I can I, write a little drinking I, game I, as we do. <laughs> I I already get fat fingers when I'm trying to write my notes when we watch this. You you throw too much. You throw a drinking game in on top of that, I'll, and I'll... it's just going to be blackout the musical. <laughs> I'll I'll try to write the drinking be, game. Be like, what'd you think of it, Warren? Think of what? Huh? Who are you? Where am I? How did I get in front of a mic? Where are my pants? Why is my underwear on my head? <laughs> so yeah. Let's uh let's go and uh tackle this stinker of a film. Again, it'll be better next week. Not Brigadoon. Not Brigadoon. <laughs> this is Lost Horizon, which isn't Brigadoon. <laughs> And I know the tone, the tune was way, way off. As you laugh and nod your head, yes. I haven't, I haven't seen Brigadoon. Have I mentioned that? Hey, Warren. Hey, Kate. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah. Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it.
You are listening to 5.30 on your podcast aisle. Confused yet? Well, my dad, Raymond, or Ruckland, is putting out 5 and 30, an interview podcast. Wait, wait, don't leave. It's not going to be one of those boring, hour-long shows, no. He's going to be sitting down with creators, voice actors, and hosts from many different shows that he swears you will have heard of, and asking them five random questions. They could be simple, deep, or just plain silly, and after they answer them, they'll get 30 seconds to plug whatever they want. No matter what, the goal is for you, yes you, to get to know the people behind the shows you listen to even better. And who knows, maybe you'll even find a new show to check out. This will all be coming to you everywhere you already get your podcasts starting the first week of the new year. Check castjunkie.com for more details. (sighs) Okay, Dad, I did the thing. Can I please go now? 5 and 30 with Ruck, coming soon. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. I want that time back. Movie was bad. I want that time back. Movie was bad. I um, think I like movie musicals. I, 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 I didn't like this. Um, I would kill an entire genre for a while, too, if I had to deal with this. I don't ever... <sighs> you know, I haven't played it, but it looks really interesting and I want to get it, but... I, I, right now, I'm mad at Horizon Zero Dawn just because <laughs> it has Horizon in the name, and I. Uh, 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 oh so, God, this uh, is so bad. Hold on, um, let me take a sip of my drink. This is the first time that I've uh, that I've put vodka in my wine for a little while i think this is the first time that i'm uh drinking during yeah during during recording recording. (laughs) so (laughs) so let's uh let's fucking get through this yeah because i invented a drinking game that now i have to scrap because it's so i'll still read it as we go along i'll tell you when to take a sip but ugh. I love you, listeners. We love you. Love we love you very much, and um, that's why we watch this so that you don't have to. We're glad that you're here to share the burden of this with us, uh, even if it's mostly just laughing and giggling and chuckling and dry washing your hands together, going yes, yes. Kay and Warren's descent into madness is one step closer to completion. Uh, okay. What's there to say about this show other than I wish this horizon was lost, as in we could not find it, because... Yeah, of all the movies to be lost, I also, why couldn't this one be? We, we, we rented this on uh, Broadway on Demand, right? Mm-mm. No? Amazon. Amazon. So fuck you, Jeff so, Bezos. So, so, this had, like, four and a half stars? I don't know why. It's four and a half too many. This, this, this gets, this gets one star. 
in my opinion. Yeah. This gets one star because it's a musical. It is absolutely a musical, even though it tries really hard not to be a musical. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and an end. Um. <laughs> there are characters that have names. And... They go places and do things and occasionally sing. And characters have growth? Yeah. Some characters have rapid growth. Ha! <laughs> That's... Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know what, folks? If you sit there and go, I really want to check out this Lost Horizon movie. Go watch Brigadoon instead. I should have had Warren watch Brigadoon first, and I'm kicking myself. You know um, what kind of makes me laugh, though? Is we have a disclaimer at the beginning of our episode that says uh, there's going to be spoilers, and if you want to watch the show... We'll be here when you get back. Uh, I will say that we need to record a new disclaimer. I'm going to wait until you're done drinking. Okay. We need to record a new disclaimer that we will put up in front of really bad shows that say, fuck this shit, don't even bother watching it. You know what? If you want to skip this episode, you're free to. We're just going to be complaining a lot. <laughs> and then, of course, they'll be like, oh, I have to hear what they have I've, to say about this show. From what you've told me... Uh, People seem to like the ones where we yell a lot. Yeah, because uh, they like our pain. You know, I... I Schadenfreude. I, people taking pleasure in your pain. I feel so attacked right now. Because uh, <laughs> I'm guilty of that very much so. Um, but, you know, I, I, do, uh, I do enjoy talking positively about musicals, believe it or not. Yeah. And then we get one like this and I go... What positivity is there for me to say? Oh, I know. It has an ending. It does have an ending. That's I a, have It's a definite positive thing. We're I not still watching two it. Two positive notes. Bobby Van, who played the comedian. Okay. And Okay. James fucking Shigeta. Who He was the only Asian guy with a speaking line, (laughs) or an English-speaking line, and he was in Flower Uh, Drum Song. Oh, oh, And he was... That was it. Those were the two positives in this movie. Um, And it had an end. Three three, positives. Three three positive things you can take away from this episode. Good night, folks. (laughs) Uh, But no, Kay won't let me do that. No. Um, No. So... So let's let's get into it so that we can be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Before I begin my tirade, do you have anything you'd like to say, dear? I'm going to be interjecting with when you take a drink. I'm taking a drink right now. Well, yeah, but like for the audience, when uh, if, if you do not heed our warnings, this is when you drink. <sighs> okay. The movie opens up with an epic misty mountaintop scene and some loud instrumental music signifying the impending awesomeness that awaits us. But then the singing starts and the tune changes immediately and I'm already disappointed. Because mm-hmm. it started out with just this nice shot and just this and I'm like, oh, maybe the music will actually be pretty. Oh, God Get used to disappointment, babe. This oh. is Lost Horizon. <laughs> Side note. How the fuck do you lose a horizon? It's the horizon. Turn your head in any direction and look into the distance. You see that distance? That's the horizon. It's not lost, is it? (laughs) In my original drinking game, there were two moments where you would take a shot 
at this point. Because I said Lost Horizon? Yes, like in, in the song. But Your initial drinking game that you had to revise because you're like, this is going to give people alcohol poisoning. Yeah, so instead, if you want to follow the hard mode, uh, you take a sip. Hard mode or easy mode? Hard mode, because I, no, I'm not doing murder mode. <laughs> murder mode, there you go. <laughs> No, hard mode, you take a sip every time that Lost Horizon we, is set. We should call it, it happens four times. We should call it uh, manslaughter mode, because we didn't actually <laughs> kill anybody. But if they follow that advice, they will die. We here at Tone Deaf do not necessarily condone playing the actual Tone Deaf drinking game. We here at Tone Deaf uh, urge you to drink responsibly. Thank you. You finished it. My brain went, what do we here at Tone Deaf do? We, we review shows both good and bad i don't always review musicals but when i do i don't drink dosakis that shit is trash (laughs) i don't always review terrible musicals but when i do i create a drinking game Uh (sighs) okay anyways after the weepy distant singing about horizons being lost chaos (gasps) white people in turbans are upset and seem to be take a sip (sighs) are upset and seem to be charging an airfield trying to get on a plane, I think. But there's then white people without turbans who seem to be more important than those with turbans, and they're able to get on the plane. This was so bad. The plane, full of important white people, takes off and leaves behind the white people playing Tibetans. Apparently, the local city or town or village is on fire and... I think they were supposed to be Mongolian, but you wouldn't have known. Because they were white. Yeah, because they were fucking white. And they were wearing turbans. And that and just, just makes me kind of go, Sikh? I don't know. Sikh or Muslim? That's kind of what I yeah, think. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be Mongolia, but I'm not... Okay, you could yeah. have told me that they were supposed to be Martians, and I'd have been like, all right, sure. Yeah. That's not going to make this any dumber. No. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry if that came off as <sighs> no. somewhat aggressive towards you. You're I did not fine. mean it that way. You're fine. I'm... Okay, but apparently the local city or town or village is on fire, and there are armed gorillas moving in. An important white radio guy radios Hong Kong, which is still under British rule, and explains why, which explains why another silver-haired Englishman answers, saying, (laughs) We've already sent you all the planes that we can. Now get your important white people out of there and leave the white Tibetans to their fate. be a silver-haired middle-aged white man joke no i just i think i meant to type i think i was gonna type silver fox and then i was like i think that means you want to fuck him and i was like <laughs> i definitely don't anyway okay says our potential protagonist and the important white people proceed to uh tell everyone else to remain calm as they go around destroying fuel and uh preparing to abandon the white tibetans which they do, because fuck them, apparently. God. And, like, when he's on phone with Hong Kong, the guy's like, oh, get get the people on the list out of there, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's just like, yep, like, there's, there's more yeah. room on the plane for more people, but it's just yeah. this handful of people. Oh, it pissed me off. And, and then when you find out why they were there, I'm like, you motherfuckers. You might have to fill me in on that because maybe my brain... They don't reveal it until the okay. very end. And then I'm just like, oh, you motherfuckers. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, Cock gotcha. Bads. That's right. I remember. Spoiler, they were there for some kind of like... Peacekeeping thing. Yeah. Well, peacekeeping in quotes. Yeah, like in none quotes. of None of them were any kind of military mm-hmm. or policing. They seem to be, if anything, like... Am- the work for some kind of ambassadorship? I, I don't know. Because there was a reporter... Okay, okay. You know what? 
<sighs> it's bad. Let's, it's bad. We, we gotta continue with this, Hannah. We're gonna be on it all night. <laughs> oh, God. Our brave, brave heroes get airborne as the armed gorillas, who look nothing like gorillas, mind you. Oh, my God. Pull up in their trucks <laughs> and are shooting their guns at the white Tibetans. But who cares? They're not the important ones. <sighs> While airborne, we see our cast of people worth saving. Mr. Conway, <laughs> first name not found. George, who uh, I realize later is his brother, who looks like an aged-up photo of a missing five-year-old who we've just seen 30 years later, and they're like, is that the kid who went missing? Uh, Sam Cornelius. Oh, and take a shot with uh, his turtleneck. Oh, my God. That's if you watch this, which please don't. You don't, you don't need to watch this one, like, really. Um... Mr. Conway, first name not found, George, uh, and, let's see, Sam Cornelius. Hey, Kay, another Cornelius. Because he was in Hello, Dolly. Is this the same guy or, like, a relative? Because uh, all, you know, we've established all musicals are part of the same universe where this thing is normal. I don't think he is, sweetie, I think. But, Kay, for you, there is Susan, the only woman. Well, I mean, for now. Played by Hot Lips. Mm-hmm. From M.A.S.H. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and Harry the Comedian. Who, who says, Harry the Comedian. Who says, hi, I'm Harry twice the Comedian. Originally, you would take a shot. See, it's but a good then thing. later things happen <laughs> that I was like, nope, that's gone. <laughs> I'm glad you modified this just for anybody out there bold enough to attempt it, despite Don't us. Don't do it. Don't. Harry is here because he was doing shows for the troops, and then he found his way here through a series of uh, drinkings with friends, because they were like, having drinks, and it's like, oh, we should go see this temple. And then we're here, and then shit erupted, and now mm-hmm. I'm trapped, more or less. Uh, and then the uh, for drinks. Cornelius is an engineer who was there for engineering reasons. Susan, the woman, is a photographer, I think, some kind of yeah. reporter. And uh, George and Conway are, uh, does it matter, really? I mean, I guess we find out later that they're part of some peacekeeping mission, but they're shitty yeah. at it. <sighs> Anyways, Harry tries to introduce himself to the uninterested plane people and decides to share the bourbon that he found just lying around, because nothing makes new friends in high-stress situations like a game of drink from this bottle I found. <laughs> See, when I play that game, people tell me I can't work at the preschool anymore. It's just ridiculous, you know? You try to give back to the community, educate young minds. Does this smell like chloroform to you? Uh, And suddenly I'm the monster. Jesus Christ, Warren! Anyways, everyone falls asleep after a nice sippy sip, and we see the pilot of the plane open up the sliding door, and look out into the passengers. He gives a devilishly wicked grin, and then closes the door. I should also mention we know he's bad because he's not white. And this is where you take another shot for thing... What was it that I wrote? Things that make you go, pretty sure that was racist, even in the 70s. <laughs> this, this movie, this part of the show, gave me such throwback feelings to uh, uh, Temple of Doom. 
yeah. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. The part where they're on the plane and then the pilot is like, aha, I'm here to assassinate them. I thought he was going to jump out of the plane and like have the plane crash into a mountain. I was only half right. No, instead we get <laughs> a scene later that adds another shot for the aforementioned something happens that's more racist than you'd think in the 70s. <laughs> Wasn't this even a little racist for back then? When You know, hey, hey, but like we mentioned, half of the people who went to the pre-release premiere walked out. <laughs> so... Okay. I wish I was them. (laughs) (laughs) Next day, Harry, the early rising comedian, sees that the plane is now going the wrong direction, on account of the position of the sunrise and all that. He alerts the rest of the important people, and they're like, well, that's not right. And then they go to confront the pilot, who has a gun, and indicates he's not to be messed with. Except he does it non-verbally. All he does is, like, gesture. He just, like, kind of, like, he's looking at him. He just kind of holds up the gun and, like, yeah. puts it in front of his face, you know, but facing them. And they're like, I see a mm-hmm. man who doesn't speak English with a gun. Why? <laughs> That's the ultimate fear. A brown person doesn't speak your language with a gun. Lord. Ah. Uh... You sounded like the plane. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The plane lands in a desert outpost full of genuine, actual Tibetans, or Tibetan-adjacent people. Totally not mostly white people, and, uh... A couple of folks of, uh, ambiguous ethnicity, and then a few folks that actually are of Asian descent (laughs) sprinkled in. Sprinkled in. Sprinkled in. Um, It reminds me of doing Aida in Utah. Or hairspray in Utah, or once on this island in the youth group in Utah. Or <laughs> what are you trying to say, Kay? There aren't a lot of uh, there aren't a lot of theaters that seem to attract uh, people who look like me. When has diversity in and inclusion ever mattered in America? Don't we have, like, a whole statue that's supposed to be... Anyway, so the plane lands in the desert full of total actual Tibetans, and these ragged outpost people start passing cans of fuel down to one another in this human chain, and they start fueling up the plane. The white people try to get off the plane, but, like, the Tibetans brandish weapons at them and scare them back into the plane. After the refueling, the plane takes off again. And you take a sip at this point because the way that they're having them acting is just... Uh, Um, the best way to put it is savage yes and the best way to put it is savage oh my my god it made me so mad they're just they're behaving very bestial and like one of the guys is like yeah like licking the the window you know and just being really creepy and i think he's doing it at the window that has uh susan yeah the the, the white woman so it's even so so. it's even more it's wow it's really coded holy shit yeah it's it's (laughs) like i said Something that makes me go, pretty sure that was racist even in the 70s. But their whole, and the reason is, their whole purpose is to scare the white people back onto the plane. After the refueling, they take off. But then, the plane crashes into a mountain. Mountain. The plane crashes <laughs> into a mountain. And this is where you take, this is where you can, like, finish a drink. Because it is the calmest fucking plane crash ever. Um, it it skips to a to a soft landing. <laughs> yeah, like even with you know you're supposed to have the pilot. Oh no, the pilot's dead. It's like 
No, he maybe got knocked unconscious. He's yeah. not... No, no, but Kay, didn't you see he had blood leaking down the side of his face? He bit a blood pack. That means he's dead. Uh... A little bit of blood on the inside of your mouth is the exact same as being uh, ejected through the windshield and, like, splattered on the rocks. That was... I have been through worse turbulence <laughs> than that plane. <laughs> than that plane crash. Like Kay, Kay, it's only a model. That was not a very good impression. But I'm not going to apologize until Lost Horizons apologizes to me. Um, <laughs> luckily, however, after the plane crash, all the white people survive. But the, the uh, Tibetan pilot, not so lucky. I mean, he did kidnap them, and he kind of gave evil looks to them, so I guess that makes it okay. Um, you know. Anyways, the colorless, the colorless cast of characters are freezing <laughs> to discomfort inside of the plane. Which lies in the middle... Freezing to discomfort. <laughs> They're not freezing to death. They're just very uncomfortable. That was great, though. Uh, which lies in the middle of a snowy mountain. They find a map that the pilot had and are like, Huh, this part must have been where we were. And, huh, not sure where we are now. It was... I, it, okay? Good Good, good job. Good plot point, movie. Anyway, so they continue to freeze inside of the plane until they're rescued by a very pale Tibetan whose name is Chang. Take a sip. And his band of merry travelers. Chang explains that the English, that the reason his English is so good is because he studied at Oxford and totally isn't because he's an English actor. And he learned the language of your people. He learned the language that's, of your people. That's the line. That's he the managed, fucking line. He managed to get all the way to London, England without knowing any English. And there he learned how to... <sighs> so I have a joke in here that I really liked and I really I skipped over it. So I'm going to do this line again. <laughs> Chang, Chang, Chang explains that his English is so good because he studied at Oxford, but he doesn't explain why he looks like a, knack, a knockoff Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Anyways, he says he'll take the survivors. Oh my god, he does! He absolutely looks like a knockoff Patrick Stewart. Holy shit! I really wanted to make some Patrick Stewart jokes, but I like Patrick Stewart. And yeah. he would never be in this. And if he was in this, he'd be the best goddamn part of this, this movie. This is true. And instead of talking about Harry, we'd be like, yeah, Harry was fine. But man, Patrick Stewart this was in This is very true. Only reason to just watch the parts of this movie with Patrick Stewart in it and then turn it off. And the guy that plays Chang is the guy that had all the stories that I was reading from that had the tax problems. He That's the, him. He did the movie. He's like, I owe the IRS money. <laughs> yep. And I have no skills other than playing a Tibet man. <laughs> I mean, he was a, a highly esteemed uh, actor in England, so... That's why he, like, he played a Tibetan. Like, only a really good English actor can play a Tibetan. I mean, other than a Tibetan. But how many of those do we have? Any, anyway, anyway. Uh... I'm getting off on too many tangents because I don't want to talk about the show. <laughs> Patrick Stewart, knockoff Patrick Stewart, excuse me, t tells him that he'll take the survivors to the Lama Street in the morning. I'm excited to see some llamas. They're cute. At the break of noon the next day, the adventurers set out in the totally real snowstorm, hiking through this real snow. They come to Shangri-La, which is oddly green and sunny considering the raging blizzard not six feet outside. This is because they're surrounded by mountains on all sides. A natural phenomena they're very grateful for. 
You know, we're sur- we are sort of surrounded by mountains, and uh, I don't think that mountains do what they think it does. No, you see, Kay, they have a monastery at where the perfect point of the mountain where all the winds just collide and they just go straight up and it just passes right over them. That's, that's, that's not... <laughs> No. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only way I can suspend any amount of disbelief. My my suspension of disbelief is either A, they truly are going on Brigadoon logic, and every so often the mists will part and Shangri-La, Shangri-La, I hear Brigadoon up out of the haze. I hear Brigadoon is better than this. Yes, it is. And I'm like, Brigadoon's <laughs> not my favorite because, I don't know, after a while you kind of get bored of the same uh, stuff being seen on the screen that don't look like you. And then, you, mm. and especially because you're sitting here like, you know what, you know what could be really interesting is to, you know, maybe have, but no, no. No. Okay. That's a role I'll never get to play. Okay, you should know that the arts are not about trying new things. This goes double <laughs> for Lord. musicals. Lord. Like you, art does not grow by trying new things. you got to stick with what is formulaically proven to get asses in the seats. Uh, it's side tangent, but seriously, <laughs> like, that is the thing that was so disheartening as a kid, is watching all of these old movie musicals and going... Mm. Wow, I literally don't see myself in these. Yeah, I can't relate with any yeah, of Yeah, I can't relate with any of There's a role I'll never play. There's a role I'll never play. There's a role I'll never play. Mm-hmm. There's a role I'll never play. It's why, like, even though I was big into musical theater as a kid, I did straight plays mostly because the kids group that we were in did go off of talent and not just off of looks. And so, like, uh they anyway. Would, they wouldn't be afraid to put somebody in a role that wasn't traditionally... I played Snow White. <laughs> I bet your Snow White was as good as your Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And I also had played Juliet. I wanted to be the nurse, but I got cast as Juliet. You're my Juliet, except I promise not to. I have jokes about that in this drinking game. <laughs> Fantastic. So I do want to tell a little bit of a story that was funny during the watching this. Uh, Kay was saying I should have had you watch Brigadoon first before this. And then I just turned to Kay. Is Brigadoon as bad as this? And Kay stops and thinks. And I can kind of read her, read them and... Uh, I'm just kind of like, so the the music is probably better than this, but it's still yeah, not that great. Yeah. So, but hey, if you've got, I mean, come on, it's a musical. If you got good music and people listen to a stupid show for good music. I will forgive a lot for good music. <laughs> it may not get points for story or anything like that. No. But then people will still listen to stuff. It's why... Starlight Express is above some shows. They, they, they should. The music is kind of fun. <laughs> In some some of the songs. I, I can't separate the two in my head. Uh, but with... Um... Anyways, Kay, back to the show. Especially since none of this Shangri-La shit makes any sense. Um, go figure. <laughs> Walking around uh, Shang... And they're in the, in the same set, so it's uh, Shang-Malot, uh, Camrilla, this fucking place... <laughs> They see lots of red-robed people walking around and a pretty white woman holding flowers. Yeah, and Conway sees her and he's just like, You're white. I'm white. We're made for each other in this place full of white Tibetans. Oh, God. Well, and 
So apparently from the little bit of cursory reading that uh, I I was doing on the book, because I'm not going to spend all the time researching the book, uh, that character is a combination of, or that character and Olivia Hussey's character are combined, or I guess they're split up for the movie, but they're one character in the book, and uh, that character should have been played by an Asian person. So there's that. Well, I mean, they can't they can't be disrespectful and have a handful of uh, actual Asian actors when they've already gone full balls deep into the, uh, let's just have a bunch of white people play. Every- oh, wait, no, we do have some actual... We do have actual Asian, Asian actors in it. It's just that either they're extras or they have, like, two or three speaking lines. They're, they're uh, uh, not very important. Correct. They are not very important. The uh, <laughs> teachers group that I used to be a part of just did a big old alert, so I have remembered to shut down the uh, alerts. Ruined the whole episode. I know. Ru- oh, man. Oh, darn. Oh, shucks. We ruined the episode about the worst musical that we've ever watched. You know, this, this one was... Just so incredibly bland, and it's not even bad in the same way that Love Never Dies was no. bad. Because Love Never Dies, Love Never Dies at least, like, threw itself into its own terribleness and tried to make it as good as it could while being as yeah. bad as it was. Whereas it seems like Lost Horizon, everybody is slightly sedated and mm-hmm. don't really want to be participating. Like I said, the only people who... And the extras did a good job. The Like, the kid extras and stuff, they were great. Oh, yeah, they, the they were actually really were, cute. The kids were fucking adorable. I was like, let's rescue you from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have careers now? I hope you do. But, like, all of the leads, save for Bobby Van... Uh, Which one was Bobby Van? The comedian. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. We, we saw this today! Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but, like, uh, I just... Uh, anyway, continue. We've got to get through this piece <laughs> yes, of shit. Yes, we do. The party people meet up with an actual non-white person who is like, if you wish to get out of your fur clothing, we have some nice cult-like robes for you. James fucking Shigeta! <laughs> Chang goes and tells uh, some off-screen master that Conway is here with four others, and the mysterious voice is like, good, good. And then we see Susan realizing that she dropped her drugs, which we did see Susan taking drugs earlier on the plane uh, after they were leaving the initial shitstorm. Mm-hmm. But I forgot to mention that because it happened really quickly. Anyways, and I have a shot moment here. Uh, there and when she's messing with the drugs on the plane of, oh, take a shot whenever a female character gets hysterical. Hysterical. She needs her pills. This is just too much. But uh, she realized that she dropped her drugs when they were uh, climbing up the mountain to get to this fucking place. And... <laughs> oh, and she does what we all want to do while watching this film and jump off a fucking ledge. She gets stopped before committing suicide by Chang, who is like, No! Don't kill yourself. We have plans for you. And like, isn't life awesome? And then Susan is like, oh, okay, I guess life is pretty great. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, climbs up off 
this this ledge. I almost feel like that could count. So I I have one of my spots in the drinking game is white people getting spiritual fulfillment in Asia. <laughs> like a sisterhood of the traveling, or I guess that's not Asia, but like a eat, pray, love or whatever sort of shit going on. And so that could probably count for a shot. Originally I had four, but this could be five. This would be very dangerous to practice in real this, life. Yeah, do y'all do not play this game. <laughs> We then see Harry the Comedian being like, ha, a funny thing happened on the way to the airport. Take a shot. <laughs> he referenced a better show. Take a shot. <laughs> what show? Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Oh, okay. Harry, which part? <laughs> I'm glad that you kept that in, though. <laughs> Harry, which part was funny, though? The armed, not gorilla gorillas shooting white people in <laughs> turbans or the... Uh... Well, I mean, if they were going off of absurdity, then that is pretty funny. Oh, <laughs> there is a lady in a yellow dress dancing and giving us the uh, first musical scene of the show. Take a shot. 42 minutes in, except I'm not sure that I'll actually count this because it's in universe. They are watching somebody perform. They are not. It's not the whole normal musical song and dance where everybody's doing stuff. Except Hello Dolly kind of prove to us that sometimes those numbers are in universe so i mean because they're they're sitting at dinner watching her dance on stage yeah and and there is music and watching olivia hussey lip sync to someone else it's really not that good no at all and uh anyways anyways they're not pausing to randomly break out in song and have everyone do it. These people are sitting around a dinner table while the lady in yellow is like, Now you're here. Stay here in Shangri-La. And that woman's Olivia Hussey's character, Maria, who we uh, learn about more later. Yeah. The mediocre kind of musical scene ends with Chang coming out and being like, Susan doesn't feel well, so it's just us fellas. Dude's night! But the, <laughs> but the others are like, uh, thank you for saving us from certain death, but we'd like to go now. And Chang is like, I'm afraid we have no radio, no messengers, no way to get out. There are some porters 500 miles away who are the only people we deal with, and if the weather on this magic mountain is favorable, they might come up here with some goods to trade. We haven't seen them in about two years, though, so make yourselves comfortable. Chang is then like, well, it's getting late. Sleep well, especially you, Conway. <laughs> to which Conway is like, me? Why, thank you. I didn't realize I was so important. Am I going to be chosen to be the next white savior of this Tibetan monastery? You know... The more that you say this, I think we have to add another spot where you take a shot in the drinking game. What? So I have a, I have one of the things that you look for is white savior BS, and that kind of mm. counts. So that's it, where they're um, they're playing footsie with the white savior trope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they don't they don't dive headfirst into it quite yet. No, they're just kind of poking them with the foot, going, "Hey, you're destined for greatness." Ugh. Conway and George are then like, something is off, right? Things seem off. We should try and find a way out of this apparent paradise. We then jump to the next day with Conway hounding Chang 
about where is Shangri-La? How many people are here? Oh, and did you orchestrate to bring us here against our will? Chang is deflecting questions, but then he's like, all will be made clear eventually. Chang then gives Conway a tour and is like, look how perfect everything is here. Why would you ever want to leave? Everyone lives very long because of our stress-free lifestyle. Meanwhile, George is flirting with the dancing girl from the previous scene, whose name is Maria, and is like, oh hey, this is the first musical scene, but not really. And then we get our first genuine musical scene at 51 minutes and 10 <laughs> seconds. And this one counts because everybody on scene freaking breaks into song and dances. So this it one is kind of cute because of the kids. <laughs> and it happens as Chang is like, hey, Conway. Check out our school with the white woman teacher you were eye-banging eye when you first got here. Our low-rent king and I. <laughs> Watch her sing and dance with the students about how the world is a circle with no beginning and no one knows where it ends. That, <laughs> no, I really wish that there was at least like one really good song in here, but they're all very, very incredibly mediocre. It very much yeah. it very, it feels very phoned in. Again, the least mediocre is the one that the comedian does later. That is the least mediocre. And really, like, that one and the world is a circle. The world is a circle is only slightly helped because of the kids. Otherwise, it's it's Rent King and I is what it is. It's, it's dumb. It's, uh, anyway. And apparently the only subjects that they teach at this school are Frolicking 101, Frolicking 1010, Frolicking 1020, and other college course references. Actually, they do teach one other thing. Oh, I forgot about that. They teach French for yeah. some fucking reason. <laughs> the very... Uh, see, and I wrote that joke before they did the French thing, so... <laughs> the very lame, not catchy first musical number ends, and we see Harry talking to Sam, the engineer, about this dream he had where he swallowed a 50-pound marshmallow. And Sam is like, cool. And then Harry laughs and laughs to himself some more as he walks away playing with this deck of cards. Sam then goes to check on Susan, who uh, is talking to uh, Tulen? Tulen? Yeah, Tulen, which is James Shigeta's character. Yeah, the the one only, like, Asian person with actual speaking lines. Yeah, who who isn't, like, just given a... Because I don't know if they even have any singing lines for anyone other than Tulen. No, I don't. Not that I can think of. Yeah, I like even in the fertility slash baby dance, I don't think that they sing either. I think that it's mostly just white chorus singing. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty sure you're right. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, at this point, Tulen is playing the role of Susan's emotional support Tibetan. Susan starts to unravel like the onion that is her backstory. She's a wartime photographer, I think. She's talking about taking pictures of people with their heads blown off mm -hmm. for other people to get a kick out of. She then talks about taking pills to help her with her dreams and to feel good, but the pills don't do it as much after a while. And now, now she has nothing. I almost, I almost expected Tulen to pull out a bong and be like, this is Shangri-La, we grow the best shit here. <laughs> But no, just more sad face from Susan. So, uh, like, they, they, uh, Susan is kind of the only character 
who has like a trial that they then yeah achieve and surpass and become a better person for yeah everybody else is more or less the same as they were when they arrived mm-hmm. like there's a little bit of attempt at like character some development growth. yeah yeah some growth harry gets a little bit of growth sam gets a little bit of growth i guess conway even though he's like a fucking conway does not he's, get he's a he's a fucking loop de loop and then george is just a douche throughout mm, george is just a smarmy little asshole mm, yep you know who doesn't have a sad face in this movie sam and harry because they're playing with some obscure they're playing some obscure card game while Chang and conway talk about how women are things because they have this whole conversation about like oh if you're interested in a woman but this guy respects you then he should let you have yeah. the woman they keep talking about having women as if you can just go up to a woman and be like you're mine now then again in tibet maybe you can i don't know i don't know but i know that in shangri-la you can it's a man's world in Shangri-La. You know what, though? With what they revealed about the origins of Shangri-La, I'm kind of like, okay, that tracks. <laughs> you will have, probably have to help me with that, because when it gets into talking with the master, quote-unquote, yeah. um, that part was just really dumb. Yeah, it, that part pissed me off. <laughs> Conway sees the teacher from earlier, and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm trying to tap that. And he runs off after her. He finds out that she's also brainwashed and is like, Chang found me after my parents mysteriously died and I was raised here and I have never wished to leave ever. Conway is like, cool, cool, bye. Mm-hmm. We then see uh, a, uh, a ceremony. Uh, is This is a marriage ceremony. Oh no, uh, it's got a man and a woman on a litter being carried by people like royalty. While people sing about living together and building together and getting along, it's the blandest song ever. And this is the fertility ceremony. It's heteronormativity, the song. (laughs) It really is. It's It's like man plus woman equal family. Yep. (laughs) Plus baby equal family. This entire procession is because the couple being carted around fucked. And they have a tiny gravy baby trophy to prove it. <laughs> gravy baby trophy. Gravy baby. How do you get a gravy baby? First you make the gravy, and then you get the baby. <laughs> the couple does some arm stretching kind I've of just dance never while they're heard you call it a gravy tro- gravy baby trophy. I've see, heard fuck trophy. We'll see, I've see heard. and and uh gravy baby is is kind of a evolution of um, baby gravy. No, it's an evolution of. Well, I mean, yes, but it's an evolution of 1776 when Jefferson and his wife oh, were making the gravy. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so, I got yes. you now. I got you now. So next time someone says, "Kay, do you know where babies come from?" You can say, "From gravy." Jesus Christ! It's technically not wrong, but technically not right either. Anyways, where was I? This oh, is yes. Why we're not having kids? Uh, <laughs> The two people who fucked and have a baby to prove it uh, are doing this arm-stretching dance, which is almost like a mix between yoga and sort of Tai Chi motions, and then they hold the baby. Don't ask me to be more clear than that. I don't have it in me. It that's that's Use your imagination, and it's probably more interesting than what this was. What's wild, though, is that I was expecting something more from that scene, since it said that people <sighs> busted up laughing. 
I was just bored. <laughs> yeah, I was just bored too because it just has you know the woman holding the baby and the guy's like stretching his arms out slowly, like look at what we have, and then they kind of just move back and forth. Like it's just it's really yeah. really boring. Just it, it really was... boring. <laughs> I think Hermes Pan was the choreographer's name, if I remember right, and I'm like, mm, could have done could have done better, dude. Maybe it wasn't. I don't remember. Hey, he... I know that Hermes Pan had something to do with it. But... Uh, can I hit Hermes with a pan? Because he... <laughs> I, normally I would like the name. Cause... <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm like, no, fuck that. No. No. Anyways, after the gravy baby celebration, <laughs> we see people walk... We see people working in the fields while unattended white people walk around. Sam goes into the water <laughs> of a local river... Unattended white people. Hey, if you're brown, you keep an eye out for strange white people in your land. You know that. Unattended white people is how colonization happens. As I'm about to talk about. Because Sam almost pulled some colonizer shit. And I I have that you take a shot there, too. Yeah, Sam goes into the water and he finds some gold and is like, Woohoo, we're going to strip mine this paradise. And he runs off. Pave paradise. Yeah, seriously. And, oh God. So, uh, Conway and Frolic Teacher, whose name is Catherine, are having a picnic (laughs) and singing inside their own heads while being completely silent. It was so awkward. It must have made lip syncing really easy since they didn't have anything to try and dub over. Like, it's just, it is the most bizarre scene. (laughs) Conway and Catherine do their best to not look bored while they have their inner song about not rushing and being patient. Oh my god. What? That's where they got the idea for how the musical numbers in Tarzan would work. Reference right over my head. No, the, the cartoon, the movie. Where, like, he never actually is singing, but instead, you've got Phil Collins being his inner fucking voice. Um, yeah, I, that's where they got the inspiration from, and that's where I'm sticking to it. They, holy fuck. I don't want to devote that much energy to thinking about that. That's where they got it. (laughs) I'm still stuck on the fact that these two are having an entire boring and silent picnic while they're singing in each other's heads. Because they're just like handing things back and forth and first like staring off into the void and then being like, oh, that's right, I'm having a picnic. (laughs) And then they look at each other and kind of get these half smiles. Could you imagine like going on a picnic with someone that you're, you're starting a relationship with and you two are just completely fucking silent the whole time? Something would be wrong. Like, there's, it's okay, like, enjoying a shared silence. <laughs> but not when you're, like, looking into the void and then looking back and you're like, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be having a picnic with Let you. Let me pull this lemon out of a picnic basket. Uh, that's what got, like, outside of everything else, that was what put me over the edge. Maybe that was when she was pulling out. <laughs> maybe they're squeezing fresh lemon over something they're eating. No, they just pulled out a fucking lemon and put it on a plate. They did. I think it was a lemon. It looked like a lemon. Like a big lemon. Is it, could have been a grapefruit. No! 
Anyways. <laughs> That's another place where you take a shot for forced heteronormativity. <laughs> Anyways, the song and the scene are dumb. Luckily, we're saved by George bitching at Susan for not being, for, for being like happy and shit. Take and a not, shot. And not suicidal or sad. And I guess George has been trying to talk dancing girl Maria into having a desire to see the outside world. Maria wants to see the outside world now. London, the Greek islands, other geographical locations. Susan is like, don't listen to George. This place is perfect. And Susan and Maria have their different people see life from different points of view song. And it boils down to seasoned traveler Susan wants a quiet place to be at peace in. And young Maria wants adventure because she's only had paradise and doesn't understand how good life is for people in Shangri-La. That's right. And I have actually for this and the last song, uh, take a sip for music that doesn't really fit the action or choreography. (laughs) What was interesting with these two, because it's the song and dance with just these two women. There was a lot of like leg splaying in the choreography for for this one. I feel like even... You would think that maybe the fertility dance, you know, there might be a little bit of sexualization. For this one, they're, like, rolling over tables and just splaying their legs wide. And the music doesn't fit that either. And, like, it's... (laughs) Everything doesn't fit it. Everything doesn't fit it. The lyrics, the dancing, the just... My, why, why does this show have to be a thing? The group that I was in, in high school dance class did better choreography to match with a Weird Al song than <laughs> this. <laughs> Which Weird Al song? Uh, Christmas at Ground Zero. <laughs> nice. We wanted to do The Night That Santa Went Crazy, and they were like, no, you can't. <laughs> the Night That Santa Went Crazy. Okay. <sighs> As the show goes on, I can really see how the music was phoned in, and the dancing... And the singing and uh, fucking everything now that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't hate Camelot in Camelot and seeing Camelot in Shangri-La. It's not terrible, Mm-mm. but also my expectations have been slowly diminishing over the last few weeks. So <laughs> take any praise with a grain of salt. Not criticism, <laughs> just praise. Anyways. The song and dance ends and we get a glimpse of George looking out at some people and having a menacing look on his face. George is up to something. Anyways, two women are dancing with long sleeves and Harry is like, those two women would be great in my new act. I I call it, a horny white male wants a threesome. (laughs) And Sam is like, they'd be lucky to be a part of that. But all sarcastic and shit. And we see Sam telling Susan she looks nice, and George looking menacing at Conway. George then tells Conway that they need to decide who wants to leave and how and when, and also who and why and where and how, and when and how and why and where. Also, we need to tell the others we were brought here intentionally. Which he does. Take a sip every time that George does something just like this. George does a George. God, Cheng comes in and is like, Come, Conway, the High Lama wants to see you. And George is like, Tell everyone the truth that we were brought here and how and why, but where and when, but not where and when, because we remember all that still, but how and why. <laughs> Cheng is like, No time for questions. The High Lama is waiting. And Conway tells George to cool his tits down, and he goes off with Cheng to see the Lama. Speaking of which, Kay, 
I have yet to see any llamas here. It's like the movie was spitting in your face. <laughs> I thought they said that this was a llama street, but I have seen no llamas. The llama street said that there would be llamas. I haven't seen any llamas. This is a terrible <laughs> llama street. I hate myself for that joke. <laughs> but just that one. All the other ones. Mwah. Um, now, before we go into the next scene, uh, I want everyone listening to ask themselves, will this movie have the integrity to have the High Lama, the most important person in this Lama Street, be a person of color and not another white person? We all know the answer. Fuck this movie. Of course not. Why would they do that now? Take a shot. Anyways, Conway goes to see the great white llama who gives him his story about being a the first European to ever set foot in Shangri-La in like 1747. He was frostbitten and shit, but he's still alive and he's the great white llama and he brought Conway here to... uh. Replace him, because uh, fuck Chang and those other guys. They're not white enough to be the next great white llama. And finish your drink when he reveals that he's the founder with the shot that they had revealing that he was the founder. Of... And they do that by showing that his foot's like all fucked up, right? Because he had yeah. frostbite, so they yeah. had to like remove part of his foot or part of it fell off mm -hmm. or whichever. So you finish your drink at that point, but then there's another one, and I don't know if you have the line in here or not. Yeah. It's okay. Do you recall? Because the the great white llama has some something. He was a, a Catholic uh, mm -hmm. priest or something. Yeah. And why did he journey to Tibet? Do you remember? To probably try and spread Catholicism there. Yeah, he found his way to Shangri-La. Why was he elevated to the highest seat in the land? Some sort of white savior bullshit. We don't know, but then he talks about that that the purpose of Shangri-La, I guess, is to, like, be a place of peace so that when the aggressive people in the world all devour each other, the meek will actually inherit. It almost sounded... And that's where you throw your drink against the wall because you're so fucking frustrated. <laughs> it's... It, it seems to me like the whole idea behind Shangri-La is it's like, well, after Armageddon... We'll all come out of Shangri-La and there'll be no one left. It's, and we'll just repopulate uh, the planet. It's kind of... That's that's basically what it is and it pisses me off. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, you throw your you throw your glass at the wall in frustration after you've finished your drink. Because that meek shall inherit the earth line comes right after that. <sighs> you're cute when you're angry. I'm about to get real fucking adorable. <laughs> Conway leaves and goes to the others and is like, yes, I saw the great white one. And uh, no, I don't have any answers, but uh, hang tight. And then he fucking leaves. The next scene, we see Sam talking, uh, taking Susan to the river where he found the gold. Beautiful gold. There's gold in this here water. We can smuggle it out. <laughs> and uh, then go let the British know and they'll come and colonize the shit out of this place because crack open a fucking history book and turn to any page you want and find out what happens when white people find valuable resources in brown people land. Uh -huh. Susan is like, uh, I like it here. I don't want to leave. Instead, I'll sing a song to you while I throw these golden nuggets into the river and then tell you to go improve the local irrigation system. Yay! So her song is, I've noticed that a lot of the songs in this 
are actually quite short. They're they're short for yeah for musicals. Yeah, uh, it's it's written by a pop songwriter, so they're well three minutes. I wouldn't long. even say some of them are that long. Like but some like, of them feel like they're really short. They're like, like radio play. You, you have like the you have the bigger the bigger song and dance numbers, which are longer. Mm-hmm. But then like the two girls crotch playing while they sing is a shorter song, mm-hmm. and then. Susan singing to Sam. And both of those felt like eternities to me, regardless, because they, they were just so, such snoozers. They were, they were so stuff. They were just not they, very good. They felt like they went on too long, but I knew that they were short. <laughs> we then see Chang and Conway talking about Maria, who is looking for George. And Chang is like, oh, her life has been rough. Everyone she ever knew died. And she came here when she was 20. And Conway is like, how old is she? Is she like 50 but looks 20? Because of, <laughs> of the fucked up time dilation stuff here? Take a shot! Chang is silent, indicating that, yes, Maria is robbing the cradle with baby George. <laughs> who, by the way, is being creepy with Maria, telling her how beautiful she is and comparing her to women of other places. <sighs> more regal than the women of France. More, you know, beautiful than the women of Japan. Like, just doing that kind of thing, kind of schmoozing on her, but kind of creepy. And Maria is like, I don't want to hear about other women. I just want to hear that you, the man I've barely known, won't ever leave me. (sighs) And George is like, but I want to see more of the world. How about you come with me instead? And Maria is like, okay, I guess since I'm a woman in 1970 and I can't tell a man no. And George is like, I adore your lack of being independent and kisses her. And take a shot for an uh, Olivia Hussey character getting herself into trouble with the guy. Does she do that a lot in her movies? Romeo and Juliet. Mm. <gasps> Leading herself to death <gasps> over she... a boy that she barely met. <laughs> That's totally 180,000% not foreshadowing for what happens in this show. Hmm. Susan and Sam are hashing out how to improve irrigation for the Shangri Lions and find out that Sam is a disgraced former businessman who has been running from the people who invested in his failed businesses. And Susan is like, maybe here the running can stop. And then we see them on opening day of this fucking irrigation system that is just here now. You'd think that these long-lived people with a temple full of hundreds of books would have had the time to read about primitive irrigation and agriculture. But But no, they needed a white person to do it. (laughs) But they're too busy being perfectly at peace, I guess. So, you know. Ah! Well, you're the one editing, so. Yeah, I can... I can lower that. Anyway. I needed a scream. sounded more like, do you need a screaming pillow? We maybe should have a a, a recording screaming pillow. We maybe should have a screaming pillow for me. Pick it up and yell. Well, I mean, I had it for Black History Month, so. I need it for the rest of the (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, frolicking teacher Catherine is trying to teach the kids French for some fucking reason. And Conway steals her away for a pop quiz on human anatomy. (laughs) He leaves the kids with Harry the Comedian, who talks about how he was a shitty student and that he can only teach the kids about show business. He does teach the kids the art of deflecting, answering a question (laughs) with a question to change the subject and not have to actually answer anything. 
Harry then dances around with the kids before falling off the ledge of the school into the water. Susan and Sam walk by and are like, The fuck you doing, brah? And Harry is like, They like me! The kids really like me! <laughs> Meanwhile, Conway's in the middle of a refractory period and is waxing poetically. <laughs> waxing poetically to Catherine, being like, You're beautiful and desirable, and it's odd it's happening here, in Shangri-La. The two talk about how good things can happen here, but in the outside world, nothing good happens. Not like here, in Shangri-La. And Conway is like, If all the filthy masses found this place, it wouldn't be a beautiful place for long. Looking at you, Sam, you gold-hungry colonizer. (sighs) On to the next poorly transitioned scene. It's Harry's birthday, and he's like, hey, it's my birthday, and I've made the decision to stay here and teach the kids how to sing and dance, if you'll let me stay, Mr. Chang. And Chang is like, sure, why the hell not? And Harry's like, yay! But at this time, George, private first class of the Buzzkill Brigade, comes in to be like, those people Chang said that haven't been here in two years, well, they were here three days ago. And he didn't tell us because he doesn't want us to leave. Well, I'm going to leave. And then he leaves. And Conway goes after him. But Catherine is like, be careful, George. He will want you to leave with him. And Conway is like, I have to go talk to the Great White Llama. The Great White One is like, I'm dying, Conway. And then he fucking dies. But Finish not, your drink. <laughs> but not before telling Conway that he's now the old white man in charge. Conway tells his brother that he is in charge, and George is like, you can't believe all this nonsense. What about the outside world? And Conway is like, but I found peace here, and love, and I'm now like, the king or something. George leaves saying he's going to pack, and that he hopes his brother reconsiders. Conway goes to his brother, and is like, I'm staying. George is like, so are the others, so I'm leaving and taking that young Granny Maria too. (laughs) Conway tells George that he can't take Maria, because she's actually 80, and if she leaves, she'll turn all old and probably die. Maria is like, I'm not old. Is this the skin of an old woman? Are these the eyes of an old woman? Are these the tits and ass of an old woman? (laughs) George is like, see... They've been lying to us. Maria was kidnapped just like us. These people are sick. Sick, Conway. We all need to leave. And Conway starts to have a crisis of, uh, faith, I guess. And after Maria insists that she's 20 and has only been in Shangri-La for two years, and in the insistent nagging of George, Conway is like, oh man, I'm so disillusioned. I guess I'll come with you. I want to know how... That line is possible. How is a lot of this possible? Like, for what happens next, or I guess later, how, 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 how? I don't know. This, no, it just, ah! (sighs) We then see that Conway is in his coat looking for Catherine while the great white llama's funeral is going on in the background. Tulen is like, Chang said you can't disturb Catherine, and George rushes off and all. Conway, the porters won't wait. We have to go now. And they do. Chang is watching from the distance, and Catherine comes into the scene like, Where is Conway? Leaving? But, but, but. 
and she rushes after him. Conway stops to take one last look at Shangri-La before heading out of the cave and into the fucking snowstorm that you get no glimpse of from California. I mean, inside of Shangri-La. That's another thing I have in the drinking game is uh, every time that it's obvious that they're shooting in California, then <laughs> take a shot. You know what's striking? How the mountains of Tibet look nothing like Southern California. <laughs> Meanwhile, Catherine is crying for Conway while rushing after him, but she stops just at the threshold of Shangri-La, falls to her knees, and weeps. So it's I it really drives me nuts how there's like this very not uh, uh, long cave that mm-hmm. separates you know it's the passageway from the outside world into Shangri-La, mm-hmm. and then when you're inside of Shangri-La, you can see for miles, you know, because the horizon's not lost at all; it's right over there. Yeah, they can see where the mountains are. And you get no glimpse of anything going on outside, but you take six feet yeah. through this cave, and suddenly it's a raging blizzard. Yeah, no, like I said, shouldn't be possible. It's a natural that's phenomenon. That's not how. That's not how weather works. Chang says it's a natural that's phenomenon. That's not how weather works. Maybe they. Maybe maybe there's like a dark underbelly to Shangri La, and like the reason people don't age is because they like, I don't know, drain their souls and have it in like this, this evil. They, I'm trying to make the show more interesting, um, but but even my imagination has given up. I'm I'm sitting here going, what about diseases that these uh, outside people, uh, if they can't figure out irrigation and improving agriculture, uh, I don't know. They probably still use leeches. Mm. But I mean, like these outsiders. Oh, oh, oh. Come into Shangri-La. You mean outsiders coming to Shangri-La and giving everybody smallpox or something? Um, yeah. Well, it's Shang... It's Shrugri-La? I don't know. That's gonna be the title of this episode. That's the title! (laughs) Shrugri-La. I wish this horizon was lost. Ugh. Okay. We then see the porters. Okay, so everybody has fucking left the mountain and the cave and they're now out into the snowy mountain. We then see the porters, along with their baggage, heading down the mountain, and Maria falls over and starts acting all old and frail. And we can tell, and we can all tell it's going to be revealed that she's, it is old and frail, as the trio of shangri lidiots <laughs> lag behind the porters. The porters yell at them to hurry their asses up, and Maria is like, I can't go faster, I can't go faster. And George and Conway yell to the porters, hey! 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 Only much louder, and they cause an avalanche, which kills all the porters. God! Conway, it was funny, too, is I, call, I called that when they were mm-hmm. yelling really loud. I'm like, they're going to cause an avalanche. And mm-hmm. then, a fucking avalanche. Conway, George, and Maria carry on, with Conway carrying Maria on his back, who is too weak to go with any further. The Shangri idiots continue, and George sees that Maria, over Conway's shoulder, is all old and wrinkly and shit. And George is like, "Ew! I only liked her because she was young and pretty. Now I'm disgusted, and I don't care about her anymore." And he rushes, and George rushes off, yelling, "No! No!" Well, it's also she died. Well, of old age, she aged and died. So not only does yeah. he not get that old. So Lady he, pussy. He, he, he's more like, I don't get this young, uh, naive girl who I can mold into, and, and uh, I'm sure no no small amount of uh, training, you know. Mm-hmm. 
now it's an old, dead, naive person. <laughs> yeah, but George gets upset about it, and he goes rushing off a cliff and dies. And take a shot, or no, I said drink your friend's drink for this one. No. Ew. Reach over, drink your friend's drink, chug it back. Ew, it's probably all backwashed by now. Ew, no, bad K. Scribble that one out. <laughs> or finish your own drink, whatever. <laughs> just you're you're basically gonna just chug because man pain. Yeah. Now it's just Conway walking alone in the mountains, and I bet we will find, and I bet he will find his way back to Shangri-La because he's the Great White Llama, and he's destined for this place. Plus, Chang was also like, he'll be back. Oh, oh, oh. So Conway slipped and slid down the mountain and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled, then slid to a stop and lay still in the snow. The scene changes, and uh, Conway is in a hospital bed with a white doctor. Not a fake Tibetan white doctor, but like a proper white Englishman doctor, <laughs> who was like, how do you feel? And Conway is like, Gaberder, me Conway. And the doctor is like, yep, you're Conway. The whole world knows who you are because your plane went missing and you're white. So people take notice of such things. <laughs> and then the scene changes to a helicopter showing up to rescue Conway. And the doctor is like, man, I'm glad you're here. Take him away. He keeps going on and on about this Shangri-La. And when they go into the room, <gasps> he's gone. Of course he's gone. And the doctor is like, you're too late. He's gone back to Shangri-La. He wouldn't shut up about this wonderful, magical, perfect, peaceful place. The guy who came here to get Conway is like, Do you believe in Shangri-La? And the doctor is like, Yes, I believe. I believe because I choose to believe. And then we see Conway in the mountains with a beard to show that time has passed. And he finds his way back to Shangri-La. And triumphant music plays. But we don't like see him enter or anything just the snowy mountain and the fucking credits oh thank god this it's the credits fuck this stupid ass movie why does it have almost five stars on amazon fuck this turd mm-hmm. the end yeah fuck this movie this movie is bad i uh this I, movie is bad and it should feel bad yeah i want to i want to apologize to our wonderful listeners because i feel like uh you and I were not operating on our A-game with this one. No. And, uh, you know, it, it could be tragedy in the world. It could be this terrible show. It could be a number of things. Yeah, I think I've been off of my A-game because I've just been emotionally destroyed for... K-gestures. Since May. K-gestures <laughs> to time. And uh, then this movie was just garbage. And what sucks is I was hoping it would at least be so bad it's good. Yeah. But no, it's just so bad it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there really isn't a reason to watch it. There really isn't. The only way that I could say that there's a reason to watch it is if you're like, well, it's my personal goal to see every single movie musical ever made. Mm hmm Sure. Yeah. Um... Maybe you hate yourself and you're trying to commit suicide via Kay's drinking game. Uh, <laughs> I would say your life is worth living and don't go that route. Don't don't play my drinking game. Unless it's water. You can play it with water. That's boring. So is this movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
Touche. Touche. Fuck this movie. In, yes. This, like, I'm, I, I'm mad about it because it had such a stellar cast and they weren't even good in it. Uh, do you think that they just know that they're making a turd? Or do they think it's, it'll look better with editing? It's gotta be that they knew that they were making a bad movie. And, I mean, this is the era of, like, there are some really bad movies that come out of this era, too. Like, not just movie musicals, but bad movies that come out of this era. You know, the more I, th- <sighs> the more I think about this show, it would have been drastically improved if they had people who were actually invested in the music write mm-hmm. the music we need we need a complete overhaul of every single song the entire mm-hmm. soundtrack mm-hmm. uh the asian characters need to be asian actors yeah and if you're gonna have it where you've got these white people running the monastery you better play it as in like this is not okay not this is a white savior because no that's just no just no. Hey, if world history has taught me anything, it's that brown people don't know how to run their old con- their own countries. They need white people to tell them how to run their countries. I think Kay's about ready to hurt me. This is my last episode. I love you all. <laughs> now, I just... Uh, I, I think that those type of movies make me the angriest just because... Mm-hmm. They're insulting to your intelligence. Yeah, they're insulting you, to your intelligence. You as a... As a, as a, as a brown individual mm. it's very down talking yeah because i mean it, it's like it's like every single black history movie that i see where they have to add in a white character that saves the day mm-hmm. and it pisses me off because i'm like what so we don't get agency and i'm like it's the same thing here it's the same thing here and it pisses me off and I, I mean, the issue is with the source material, too, because that's the source material. It's just garbage, and it should all be thrown out. <laughs> yeah, this this show could have been just mediocre instead of bad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, even if you made all the changes that I suggested, you still would have, like, the story that is not very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would still keep it in the realm of... Eh. Yeah. But right now it's in the realm of no, please no, I don't want to. Please don't make yeah, me so, no. Dear dear audience, don't watch Lost Horizon. No. Don't do it. The only way that I would say do it is if you're if if you just enjoy suffering and you have like a full bottle of alcohol and you're like, I'm gonna play a drinking game. Cause like it's it's not even good on the bad movie merit. Because there are some, like, Manos Hands of Fate. That was so fun. That was so fun. Uh, good, good, good call. This was not. No. <laughs> There's nothing fun about it. There's nothing. The only way to make it fun is to be in an altered state. And even then, by the end of it, it's just like, oh, well, now I'm going to throw up. <laughs> then you have double regret. Then you have double regret. But you know what we won't have regrets about? What? Next week's episode. Okay, excellent transition. What is next week's episode? So I decided we need to regain the love of movie musicals. And the best way to do it is with a two-parter. So next week, we're going to start this two-parter 
with one of my favorite movie musicals of all time. And this counts as a movie musical. Okay. Sister Act. Which I have never seen. Has... It's so good. Whoopi Goldberg? Yes. Okay. It's so good. It it was... Yeah. One of my favorites. So... And I still can't believe you haven't seen Sister Act or Sister Act 2. I have heard of them. Yes. And they're... A lot of it from me. (laughs) Well, not before I make... Black nuns, right? Black nun. 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 Yeah. Plural. Just one. Yeah. Singular. And I'm not going to tell you anything about the story other than Whoopi Goldberg. And that's it. Because, yeah. Cool. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch something good. Yeah. Because this one's good. The first one's good. Second one's better, in my opinion. So, so... So, so... So, where are we in the musical apocalypse? We are uh, before the fifth seal gets opened, where after death has marauded across the land. Or are you meaning when we go into Sister Act? Because Sister Act's not part of it. Let's see, so Sister Act isn't like us going to heaven, and then we're going to be in heaven for a little while, and then God's going to be like, hey, you don't belong here. Kick us out, and then we have to deal with more trial and tribulation on earth we will be dealing with more trial and tribulation on earth unfortunately Mm. but it's okay we'll get through it we just have to watch some good things to cleanse (laughs) our palate and i have to figure out what we're doing in uh 19 episodes oh episode 100 yeah i have no idea what we're gonna do for that because my plans just kind of went crazy so yeah rattle around in the brain <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll do an online poll or something what should we do for episode 100 Bodie McBoatface is going to be the answer um, Bodie McBoatface the musical <laughs> I'm a boat actually I think it's actually a yellow submarine I think when I saw a picture of Bodie McBoatface it was a yellow submarine <laughs> We all live in a You just gave me a devilish idea. Oh, shit. All right. So (laughs) that'll be it for this week. Um, Thank you all for listening. Um, Thank you all for hanging with us while we dive into this big old steaming pile of musical. Yeah. uh, Barely musical. And uh, I hope that uh, you were able to glean some enjoyment from this. Yeah. Sorry that we weren't quite on top of our game this week. Next week will be better because it'll be a much more enjoyable show. It should be fun. Yeah, it should be a fun show. I want to feel joy again. Me too. Me too. But you know what, listeners? You know what uh, you can do to help spread some joy? Not only by liking, sharing, subscribing... Uh, reviewing our show, but you can join the amazing Cast Junkie Discord server, which is shared in the link in our description. And you can not only join us in our Not Safe for Work channel, but you can see some other awesome channels with uh, podcasts that are some of our favorite shows to listen to. Shows like Ninth World Journal, Up All Night. Uh, we've got Sage and Savant, which whichever we all need to binge, whichever patch. Path, which is having a new season soon, and I'm really excited about it. And uh, Boston Harbor Horror. Yes, Boston Harbor Horror, which uh, both Warren and I are in this season, so that'll Woo. be fun. Um, so you may be wondering to yourself, the K, this is the first episode I've listened to, and I have no idea how to get to this Discord. Well, 
you can find a link to it with our home base, which is ToneDeathMusical.com. first, we're apologizing that this is the first episode that you've heard. <laughs> Go back. There's some better ones. I There's swear. better episodes. <laughs> but on ToneDeathMusical.com, you can find links to our, our, uh, our Twitters, our Instagrams, our Facebooks, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server that Kay had mentioned. Yes. Uh, you can also see... Uh, Pod Chaser and Podcast Guru on the side of that uh, webpage because you can review us there, you can follow our show there, you can listen to our show there. Uh, we also have our links to our Patreon if you want to go above and beyond, and to our merchandise. John the Giant Pink Sea Snail shirts coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, thank you again for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with Sister Act. That'll be it for this week. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Death. There is a dog who really wants to go play. There is a dog who wants attention. But we also need to get a T-R-E-A-T to grab the L-A-T-L-E so that we can get her for the that she's figured out how to spell it now. <laughs> <laughs>